pizza. Check that off the list. Oh, it's in recyclable packaging as well. Nice. Fruit. I'll pick up some of those loose apples. Avoid the plastic on the bagged ones. Right, now for Henry's food. None of these look particularly appetising, and I can't see anything about sustainability or carbon footprints. Hmm. Settle down, Henry. It'll be ready soon. Ah, uh, none of the kibble looked appetising. I know I can't always feed you a steak for tea, but it's nearly ready, okay? Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Jane Sophia. And I'm Alex Conacher. And you might well be wondering what my pet dog Henry is doing in an episode of Engineering Matters. Well, this is a story about an environmental lifecycle assessment calculator that our partner for this episode, consultant WSP, has created for a pet food business called Open Farm. It is a story about how one business has implemented technology to tackle some of the most difficult challenges that any company will face when it comes to understanding and reducing its carbon footprint. This includes addressing the carbon generated by its supply chain, known in industry as Scope 3 emissions, and its experience could offer valuable lessons for other companies. Here's Jacqueline Prehogan, co-founder of Open Farm, and this is her story. Okay, so we have three dogs. They're seniors. They're all pug mixes. Um, so we have a puggle, which is a pug beagle, Bella, a pug Japanese chin, uh, Maddie, and a pug Frenchie, Duncan. But they're all very puggy. So they all like look like pugs. And they're, they're actually all rescued. So Bella, we got rid Bella was like the OG like pug that like, in, like started it all. You know, we got her in 2010. Um, yeah, she's 12. Um, and then Maddie came next. Um, Maddie's 10. And those two are a bonded pair, so they can't be separated. They need to do everything together. And then, yeah, Duncan was, he was seven when we got him. And I was like, obviously, we can't get any more pugs or dogs. But he was a diva. He was like, I don't know what went on, but he was like such a spoiled diva. And he still is from the beginning. So, yeah, no, they're definitely the inspiration. And, uh, big part of what we do and give us ideas but also you know again why we love what we do because it's uh, pets just like them you know that we're we're working for every day and we really you know we really enjoy that through the love of her dogs and the personal transition she and her family were undergoing Jacqueline began to consider the animal welfare behind her meals as a family, they applied an ethos to consider where their food was coming from, how sustainable and ethical the rearing practices were, and what went into the food. And then, of course, wanted to do the same for our, our pets. But yeah, really, you know, went out looking for, the original idea was a humanely raised pet food. Went out looking for that, couldn't find it, and, you know, realised there was an opportunity. And for sure, you know, there were other people out there looking for the same thing, especially at that time. You know, I think when people are starting to really go back to their local butcher shops and really starting to look for those better options when it came to their meat. And then I think we really quickly realized that, you know, there's more to do. And, and it, 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 the concept grew into, you know, ethically sourced, which has a bigger scope because that's around, of course, the, the animal welfare being super core, but also, you know, sustainability, of course, 
um, you know, really looking at how all of our ingredients are sourced, even, you know, the packaging that they come in, just a whole very holistic approach to ethical sourcing for our products. Extending this idea into the needs of other pet parents, Open Farms strive to provide an easy solution without compromising on nutritional value or enjoyment. So for me, like, have, I, I scoop, scoop a kibble, scoop a freeze-dried bone broth, wham-bam, done in like one minute. Further to that, they realise that owners often make more of an effort to research the food they want to feed their pets. And the reason is, you know, people go to the grocery store, they kind of know what they want, they're in and out. But for feeding their pets, like people want help, they need help, they're confused, there's a lot of options, really need a lot of guidance. And so they do a lot of research, they talk to people in the stores, they take the time. And so through that, you know, we've really been able to educate on our programs, on our certifications. And then people will be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And they might even make a change in their own food and how they're eating based on what they learned through their pet's food which is really cool. These principles became their mission. Yeah, so our, our mission, yeah, exactly, is to do some good for animals and the planet. And so a lot of it was sort of building that up and having the right formats, but it's also, it's not enough to just like slap a certification on our new products. It's also looking at the formulation, like every detail, the intention of how it feeds and and making sure that it's you know extremely delicious for pets, that it is really digestible, that it has you know super nutrient dense ingredients. Every single product, you know, we go through that, you know, fairly like scientific process as well to make sure that we really are including the the right nutritional values in every product. Here to talk a little bit more about the sustainability aspect is Open Farms Director of Impact, Megan Tuttle. Yeah, we really want to kind of walk the talk and and make sure that we really are the most sustainable pet food company. We really are the most ethically sourced pet food company. And that's really why we set our science-based target. We can, you know, do small changes to our sourcing and to our packaging, but if we think about where most of our emissions come from, it's from our supply chain, it's from our manufacturing. So that was a really, really big lift to set that science-based target, but it's in line with the impact that we want to have as a company. Science-based targets are a critical mechanism for demonstrating that emissions are being reduced in line with the requirements of the 2015 Paris Agreement. This landmark global pact, which we've talked about a lot here on Engineering Matters, aims to prevent the Earth from warming beyond repair, keeping global warming on a path of below 1.5 degrees Celsius. So we set a target in 2020 to reduce our scope one and scope two emissions. Scope one emissions being those from sources that are controlled or owned by the company, such as on-site fuel use. Scope two, purchased electricity, steam, heating, and cooling for company use. By 42% by 2030, based off of that 2020 baseline year. And then as part of that, we also set a goal to measure and reduce our scope three emissions. As we said earlier, these are the most difficult to tackle, as they include a larger number of categories, from purchased goods and services to business travel and waste. So a little bit more vague there <laughs> without, without any of those numbers, but uh, we're working to refine that, figuring out exactly how ambitious we can be there. So the WSP team really helped us out setting that science-based target, but the, the LCA calculator focused on our scope three and our supply chain emissions. So what that did was look at each of our different products and all of the components of our products, not just the ingredients, but 
the packaging and the transportation and delivery at each different node of the supply chain to kind of lay out at a product level what the greenhouse gas footprint was. When looking at the early stages of products, the results weren't surprising. So we saw that ingredients were a big hotspot for us, knowing that all of our all of our products are, I think, more than 75% meat, sometimes more than 85% meat. We knew that was going to be a, a big hotspot for us. So first of all, it definitely depends on the protein. Farms are very different um, depending on the, the type of animal that they're raising. For example, cattle produce more greenhouse gas than chicken or turkey. But that doesn't mean they have to be completely cut out. In the US in particular, we have native grasslands in, in kind of the Western US. And cows actually do a really good job of keeping that grass and preserving that, that landscape and making that land economically viable still in agriculture um, and preventing it from being converted to a monocrop like corn or wheat or soy. But then there are also things that we can do on the other side to create carbon sinks. Um, and that's where regenerative agriculture comes into play. A method of farming in which the focus is on soil health, water management, etc. So we are working with our farmers and ranchers to better understand exactly what supply chain practices are directly within our value chain. Another nice thing about buying from these farms is the community aspect. But like, for example, you know, our, our chicken farmers, uh, and, I, and I've definitely, you know, visited uh, many in the past, they're a family farm. Like you'll go there and it's a farm with parents and usually kids working there with some dogs um, and, and they're raising their animals there and usually it might be like a generational farm. But they can't buy directly from hundreds of these farms. Instead the produce is sent to a processing facility and consolidated for companies like Open Farm to buy from. And what I love you know about like for example the certified humane program is it's there's an audit process at every level so there's an audit at the farm which is for the animal welfare standards there's an audit at the processing slaughter level which is to comply with the slaughter standards and then there's even then you know we buy the meat it goes to a manufacturing facility there's even a, an audit at that stage to ensure that only that meat is going into our bags and there's proper you know tracing and flushing out of equipment and, and all of that um and so it's, it is um, really extensive, but that's how we're able to work with all these sort of individual little farms. And, and it's great because they then get compensated for like having better practices. The next step to consider is what this food is packaged into. And where the packaging goes at the end of its life. We want to design everything so that it has a path out of landfill. So right now, the majority of our packaging goes through a, a program called TerraCycle, which is a really cool program that takes hard to recycle materials like multi-layer pet food bags to things like cigarette butts and and kind of finds a path out of landfill for them and it, it turns them into parking bumpers or park benches the trick is ensuring that the customers know how to dispose of the packaging in the correct way we're also working with uh, an organization called how to recycle which is a standardized labeling kind of system and what they do is really clearly explain to the customer what to do with each of the different components of their packaging. So we're launching two kibble bags that'll be curbside recyclable in Canada, 
store drop-off in the U.S., and then our supplements packaging will be widely recyclable in, in both countries. Between all of this, the production, the processing, the end of life, is transport. Just thinking of the logistics and the, the gas and the diesel and, and all of that, another, another hotspot for us. Here is Samantha Metaxas, an advisor on the WSP Climate Advisory Team. She works with companies to help them understand their environmental impact by quantifying their greenhouse gas inventory and how best to reduce their impacts through targets and other initiatives. We carried out a series of workshops with the Open Farm team to understand what vision, objectives, and ultimately KPIs and targets they wanted to set with respect to climate change. And then we also covered a few actions that they could take at a high level to start reducing that impact after we had quantified their inventory. But we also went through a number of conversations through those workshops to get a broader understanding of why they were taking on this work, how it aligned with their brand and their goals as an organization, and where they ultimately wanted to be. So that's where those those workshops came in. And I think it helped provide a broader context for the more technical work that we were doing. This technical work was a greenhouse gas inventory. Calculating the greenhouse gas emissions associated with Open Farm across a calendar year. This top-down perspective takes in Open Farm's operations at large. That gave us really a sort of top-down perspective on their operations and the impact associated with those operations in their supply chain as well. And then seeing the output from that exercise, it triggered the need or the desire to take on this screening level life cycle assessment tool. And that was really to look at the bottom up perspective from a product based lens. It allows them to focus in on where those biggest impacts are from product to product and actually incorporate those decisions for reduction into their recipe design, product design at that level. To correlate the data from these steps required a very special tool. Have we mentioned before that we love a calculator here on Engineering Matters? Theoretically, the tool could be used to assess any type of product. It could also be used to assess the impact of processes as well. It doesn't necessarily need to be from the perspective of a final product, although that I think is what it's most beneficial for. But it really is flexible in terms of how it's designed. And a lot went into its creation. There was a lot of iteration in the development of the interface. Of course, a lot of the data we depended on Open Farm for that came through conversations with them and some of the emission factors or other impact factors that sit in the back end of the tool, we brought those to the table. But in terms of improvements, I think a lot of those improvements were ironed out over the course of the tool's development. Resulting in a sort of carbon pie chart, showing the amount of carbon produced in each area, or slice if you will. Seeing this breakdown allowed Open Farm to understand which slices needed work and delve deeper into those to discover why. However, this does mean that the calculator relies heavily on the data it's fed. Remember earlier when we mentioned different ingredients having a different environmental impact? 
the beef versus chicken thing. For that reason, we want to dive deeper into those ingredients in terms of the data that we use. Currently, the data they utilise is primarily sourced from industry benchmarks. So a benchmark figure for how much, how many greenhouse gas emissions are associated with one kilogram of, of beef, for instance. And I think one improvement you could call it would be working with open farms suppliers directly to better understand what practices they're employing on the farm, for example, and be able to refine that emission factor and have it be more bespoke to open farms operations. So that's one area of improvement that we're currently pursuing. Fundamentally, the tool was designed to help them better understand the impacts of their individual products to help open farm really narrow in on some high impact areas and be able internally to make some decisions through their innovation and R&D to lower the impact of their products that ultimately reach the consumers. So when WSP helped us with our carbon footprint, helped Open Farm understand the overall impact of their operations. A development of this has been the design of new products. So we kind of thinking along those lines, wanting to still be the most sustainable um, pet food company, are launching later this year a insect-based kibble and a plant-based kibble, which we're really, really excited about. So that will give pet parents the option to make the choice and they can see, you know, fully transparently the carbon footprint of each, how that kind of stacks up um, and make the choice that's right for them and, and their pet. Now, being able to sort of focus on our, our mission and um, sort of new, innovative types of products, um, you know, for me at least, like I I'm so excited about our insect kibble. I think number one, it's a very important sustainable type of protein um, that we want to be using and it's a very low carbon footprint product and we're really excited about that. Number two, I, again, I, I like this idea of sort of like socializing a new concept, just like we did with like our animal welfare certifications and educated uh, insect base is still relatively new. And then three is sort of pet needs because you know a lot of dogs have a lot of allergies and sensitivities to uh, different like proteins like chicken allergies so common and a lot of times vets um, will want to get the dog on sort of a um, like a unique protein novel protein something that that they've never had before and I'm really excited about the the idea of insect um, as that because you know pets they, they definitely haven't had that typically. Working with WSP and their life cycle assessment calculator to better understand their carbon footprint, Open Farm now has a roadmap to head into the future. And um, absolutely, we want to see this continue in the, our industry as well. You know, one of our core values as a business is to raise the bar. And really, that means pushing forward, never sitting back, always trying to sort of elevate the way that we deliver on our mission. And, and the goal is hopefully, you know, for others to follow. And I think there have been some some really cool like you know examples of how we've seen that happen in our industry and I think how how our brand has actually really changed the dialogue and consumers expectations in our industry and that's been yeah really incredible and I think one of the things we're most proud of but also really want to continue to do is to yeah drive that positive change 
I think a lot of companies understand that this is a very pressing topic. Climate change is a pressing issue. They want to start making moves to do something about it. But my word of advice would be start by understanding your impact and don't run before you can walk, so to speak. There's always, you know, the enthusiasm to jump straight toward target setting. I want to be net zero by 2050. And unfortunately, those kinds of claims don't hold a lot of weight unless you've done the work to understand where you are right now and what is feasible by when and how you're going to get there. I would really love to be the example that other companies follow because it is a really long journey. It's a really tough journey to start to decarbonize your entire value chain. So that is that is my biggest hope. And I'd, I'd love to kind of beyond that work in, inspire our pet parents and inspire others to kind of go about that journey within their own lives as well. And and have a, a really strong foundational understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it and how they can take some of those same solutions and implement them in their own lives as well. So working to kind of continue to inspire kind of those personal decisions, because I think that's how we'll ultimately be successful as a society in addressing a lot of the issues around climate change. It's like, how can we invest more in our mission? How can we do this better? How can we keep pushing? And, you know, really seeing like these things that are difficult and that are obstacles as opportunities to just really do something amazing. Engineering Matters is a production of Ruby Media. This episode was written and produced by me, Jane Sophia, co-hosted by Alex Conacher, editing by Bernadette Ballantyne, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our own pet lover is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partners, WSP and Open Farm. And thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.ruby.media, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn.